Welcome to episode zero of the pilot season of a new InterVarsity podcast we're calling Theology And. This is Jeff, and I'm here with my co-host Emily, and we thought we'd use this first episode to introduce ourselves and a little bit about the podcast. So Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Emily Hill, and I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I work for InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries and work with graduate students at the University of Cincinnati. I'm also a theologian. I studied theological ethics at the University of Aberdeen in Aberdeen, Scotland. And I'm Jeff Leo. I am InterVarsity's National Director of Theological Formation. I live here in sunny Southern California with my wife, two kids, and a dog. And I got my PhD in theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. So, Jeff, what is it that we're trying to do with another theology podcast? Uh, yes, another theology podcast. Well, we hope we're doing something unique and exciting at the intersections of theology, the academy, and the academic disciplines. One of the things we want to do on the show is bring theology and academic research to life in a way that shows why academics love what we do, but also how what we do touches the ground in tangible ways, and then ultimately how we see God at work in our lives in the midst of it all. So we thought that we would start by interviewing each other. We thought we'd share a little bit of our own stories and research interests to use that as a way for you to get to know each of us as the hosts of the show and also to unpack the concept of the podcast a little bit more. We hope this will also get you excited about the future conversations that we'll have with theologians and academics for the rest of the season. So, Jeff, let's start with you. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you love what you study? I studied the intersection of theology and issues of racial justice. And at my dissertation defense, this question in another form came up. And I said, I study what I study because I love my kids. My kids are Taiwanese and German, Swedish, Italian, Irish. And they are a new creation in Christ in more than just a spiritual way. They are something the world hasn't seen before in who they are. They are unique. And I want them to understand what God has done to make them who they are and how God loves them specifically. Not just the hairs on a generic head, but who they are as who their parents were and what they've brought to their new life. So. I love what I study because I love my family. I love my people. I love the distinctiveness of being an Asian American and a Taiwanese American. And I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah, that's awesome. So many people that I've met studying theology and I'm sure studying many academic disciplines, they think academics are boring, studying a book in a library, very detached from the world. But most people came to what they study that I've met with a very particular passion, in your case, from your family, from your kids, because they, they care about something very particular and they want to investigate it more. So I'd love to kind of hear just 
how you got to that particular sure. thing that you studied and, and a little bit more about it. I met my wife at the University of Michigan. When she and I first met, at some point she asked me whether or not it would be a possibility for me to end up marrying someone who was not Asian. I had never imagined that in my life. And the question kind of eventually shook me. And I began to think about what really is a possibility for for me and my relationships and and my social world. And at the time, InterVarsity, I was a student and then a staff from 2001 to 2007. InterVarsity was developing a way of doing ministry for and with and to people of color. And I learned some of those things early on. And I had some experiences at the University of Michigan, like being on a phone call with Fred Korematsu, who was an internment camp objector and went all the way to the Supreme Court. I had all these experiences of being an Asian American. I was deeply in need of sorting them out. For myself, for all of my well-being, I needed to sort it out. I had so many questions about what God had done in making me who I am. So I decided to pursue theological education. I went to do a master's and then I went on to do a PhD. I am still chasing the answer to that question. (laughs) And chasing that has been the joy of my life because I am chasing after what God has done and what God is doing in me. And that's led me to where I am. I get to teach some of these things. And for me, teaching means asking lots of the same questions and watching students and learners uncover their own God story through some of the the same questions that I've had to ask myself. So I think that's maybe one way of framing the story of my academic interests and research areas. But Emily, I would love to know about why you love what you study and how you got there. So why do you love what you study? Well, I like the phrase that you just said, chasing after what God has done and what God is doing. That's a great phrase. I never expected to get a PhD in theology, really didn't expect to study theology at all. But when I eventually came to theology, basically fell in love with it and love basically learning about God and what difference he makes in our lives. And I really love talking to people about that, love working that out. I study at the intersection of uh, theology and economics primarily But really, I'm interested in theology and intersections of lots of different things, especially systems, structures, cultural ideas that are teaching us what it means to be human or ways that we interact in the world that we don't notice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm interested because I realized that that was happening to me through my own life experiences. And I want to help other people come to see the ways that that's happening in their own lives and examine that and bring more of their lives into the light of Christ and what a difference that that makes. Chasing what God has done and what God is doing and that can go on forever and it's great. Sort this out for me, Emily, because I think people like me who are not economists, I can tend to think or we can tend to think about the word economics as GDP, stock market, inflation rates, that kind of stuff. But then you talked about kind of the broader, much broader category of just human experience and things that that go on unseen. Right. Make that connection between like economics and then what you mean by human experience and things that are unseen. Right, right. I studied business and economics. I have a master's in economics and I worked in the corporate world for 10 years working in marketing research and eventually got out of that, which is how I ended up going back to school to 
study social justice. And then that's when I started to study theology. And when I did that, I basically had an identity crisis because I left the whole upward trajectory of the American dream where I had a successful corporate career. I was moving up. I had money, you know, <laughs> things like this. And then I was a poor student. There was kind of all these things that went with it. And I didn't expect that crisis, basically. And maybe other people would have told me that that was going to happen. Essentially, it took me a long time even to admit that because as a good Christian, you know, money shouldn't matter to me. And I wouldn't have never said money or the American dream or being able to move up that those things mattered to me. But then clearly when I didn't have them, they did. And so I was being formed by this idea, our country and by my, even by my education in business and all of the work that I was doing about what life was for. And a lot of that was coming through culture about what our culture says our economic life is for. Yes, the economy is about the market. But if you start to look deeper, all of our life in America is essentially organized around the market. So there used to be a time essentially where the market and the economy was like some aspect of our social lives together that was governed by social values and things. Over time, it has become now the primary organizing force in our culture so that we don't really see that happening, but there are no more social values governing that anymore. So that now the market governs the way life is organized. And so whatever the values of the market are become <laughs> the values of our life. So competition, efficiency. So now as a human being, my life is about competition and efficiency. And I have to constantly keep improving myself and investing in myself like an entrepreneur of myself, investing in making myself a more saleable commodity. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I hope what our hearers experience in this podcast throughout this pilot season is just our inquisitiveness. And Emily, what you just said, I, I, I have to ask this question, follow-up question here. So. I have been shaped like the rest of us by market forces. I have been formed by the market. My discipleship has been formed by the market. You talk about competition, efficiency, making myself a more saleable asset or commodity for the market. What is the alternative to that? Like, I feel a daily drive to be efficient and productive. Are you saying that there's a different way of life, Emily? Yeah. What is it? And it's hard to imagine, right? Because that is all we know. I worked with a pastor once and he said, I don't think that efficiency is a kingdom value. Mm. <laughs> if we just stop and think about the values of the kingdom, theologians debate what, you know, what is the kingdom and, and all, what does it mean? Right. <laughs> but I don't think efficiency is on the list. Mm. I'll just throw out one sort of simple alternative. It's just like community. That feels kind of like a cliche buzzword or something. But the, the economy and the market is constantly trying to keep us working as individuals, only looking out for ourselves. And the more that we can, in our discipleship, in our lives together, move towards each other and not away from each other, that's a huge step. Uh, silent retreats, you know, unplugging. Right. Sabbath is a 
in total opposition to the market because mm. it it says that God is the one that provides for you mm. and not the market. So we have to have these sort of daily reminders built in. Yeah. Wow. Or weekly. A weekly reminder, like a rhythm. That would be amazing. I hope that um, all of our listeners get to practice a Sabbath kind of life. When you and I started talking about potentially doing a podcast like this, we had so many ideas for what this podcast could do and what it could be. I don't even think we had a podcast first. We just had ideas of what we wanted to do and talk about. (laughs) Yeah, In part, it's because of what we as theologians believe that theology has done for us in chasing after what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. But I thought I'd ask you, what excites you about doing this podcast? And, you know, maybe you can give us a brief orientation to what folks can expect from this podcast. And then just to hear from you about why you're excited about doing this. What we're interested in doing, it's called Theology And. And that's because we're trying to look at the intersections of theology and different academic disciplines or different cultural ideas, things that we think matter in the world. And that's because we think theology matters to the world and brings to light a lot of different questions and ideas that are happening in the world. Yeah, so it challenges that stereotype that you mentioned earlier that theology is irrelevant and people are sitting in libraries alone doing very little with themselves and with their bodies. But that instead, that there are ways in which theology intersects meaningfully with the world and that all of us are kind of living out a theology of our own. So better be explicit and intentional about it rather than not. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all for that. We want to have then conversations with theologians and other academics to try to draw out these kinds of conversations and questions to also show the same thing about, you know, other academics, their research makes a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And we want to see how these other academics think about their faith and their research and have conversations with and dialogue with them, with the theologians to try to draw out how does faith and how does research and academic life intersect? How do they go together? How does our life inform our research? How does that all inform the way we engage in the world? Mm-hmm. And how does that, like I was just saying, how does that actually bring us together and not pull us apart? Because even the academy is formed by the market. We're trying to constantly make our own academic lives better by accruing information. So how do we have conversations that are about bringing people together and having knowledge that brings people together and make the difference in the world? Yeah, yeah. You know, that bringing together piece and the community aspect of the conversations that we want to have, I think is super important. Emily, you work for InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries. And one of the phrases that I have gotten from GFM over the last few years is this idea of double loneliness, double loneliness. Mm -hmm. And that idea is that for an academic who is a Christian working in the university and also faithfully attending their church and trying to participate meaningfully, there is a loneliness on the academic side where there can be a kind of dismissal of the religious and spiritual commitments that we have. And then another loneliness on the church side where the American public, and Christians are not immune to this, are really skeptical about the relevance or even safety of some of the things that academics study and think about and the conclusions that they come to. Academics and theologians are included in there, can experience loneliness on this side and that side. And I hope that the conversations that we have are a way for us to imagine a different kind of life together and to have a simulated 
community of in a conversation where we see eye to eye about things that matter to the world. Yeah, and I and I hope that we're also talking about interesting topics, even if we're having a conversation about sociology that you don't have to be a sociologist. We're not trying to have very high level academic conversations. We want to have conversations with academics, but not academic conversations so that everyone who's listening can appreciate and understand the conversation that we're having. Because again, we think that the research matters to the world. So we want to try to always draw out what difference that makes. I love that. And that's worth repeating. We are going to have conversations with academics, but not academic conversations. Because where the rubber meets the road is important to us. So maybe just as an example, I can come back to your research, Emily. Tell us a little bit more, maybe a little bit more specifically about your research in economics and theology. But specifically, why do you think it's important to the world? Where does the rubber meet the road in your own life? So, I mean, within the area of economics, I actually looked deeper within my dissertation or I studied in the UK, so we call it a thesis. Okay. But I looked more specifically at marketing. So since I worked in market research, it sort of became inevitable that I was going to look at marketing. One of my favorite theologians, William Kavanaugh, he talks about consumerism as being a morally formative system. So if consumerism is a system that forms us, then marketing has to be playing a certain role in doing that. And and really, no one was looking at how that worked. The reason to me why that matters is because these systems are forming us to be certain kinds of people. They're teaching us to be slaves to the market, to a market that wants more, that you have to keep being more. And so marketing is a, is a technique that's not all marketing is created equal. So I'm just using a blanket term here, but techniques within the economy that are trying to get us to buy more, to invest in ourselves more, and basically to not rely on God in a certain mm. way. Mm. Meanwhile, Christ came to set us free, mm. to not be slaves to something that keeps us from relying on the good God who promises to provide everything for us, who is the giver of every good gift. And that sounds so idealistic to our ears because we just can't get our minds around it. But what if we really believe that God is the one who provides for us? And yeah, I don't sit here in my house and just like stuff falls from the trees. But if we really believe that God is the one who provides and as we go out and work together, and live together, that God is the one that's providing, and I don't have to live out of the scarcity mentality, Mm -hmm. then there's just an amazing freedom to that. But there's all these Mm -hmm. messages and all these techniques and all these things that are organizing our lives in such a way to tell us the opposite. Mm. Are you saying that I don't have to hoard toilet paper? You don't have to hoard toilet paper. Emily, thank you. (laughs) Because, you know, if you run out, maybe your neighbor might give you some. Mm. That is a different way of envisioning life together for me and myself, making sure I have enough versus a vision for neighboring. It just seems irreducibly Christian. So yeah. I appreciate that, Emily. Yeah. yeah. So what about you? How does your research make a difference in the world? So I cannot personally imagine a more fraught time, at least in my lifetime, regarding issues of race and racial justice. I was born in 79. And so when Vincent Chin was murdered in the 80s in Detroit, 
I wasn't really thinking about these issues. I was too much, much too young. I only really began thinking of issues of race and racial justice in college and beyond. Because we don't share the same language, we don't share the same experiences, we don't share the same mythologies or stories about what the United States is or can be, the church in particular reflects the kind of dividedness that we see in news media and in society at large. So I am concerned about issues of race and racial justice primarily because of the church and what we have understood together that is really many of us thinking about many church leaders and concerned congregation members. We have this notion that the church should be a different kind of place. Now, some people have pursued a kind of colorblind ministry strategy in which race, ethnicity, peoplehood, culture, none of these things matter at all. People will say things like Jesus doesn't see color, and that's just simply not true. In no means has that been true of what the scriptures say. Jesus was skillful, a master at understanding the significance of his own culture and other cultures. That's why he was so intentional about traveling to the Gentiles, etc. I could go on and on. Other folks are taking a, a really challenging separatist approach based in part on their very negative exclusionary experience of the church. So my concern and my research is in part motivated by helping the church be the people of God in the ways that the Bible has prescribed and envisioned for us, that we're to love one another, and that somehow that that's a witness to the world that watches that in so many ways, it has been a pleasant surprise to see groups of people who ought to be at odds with each other, worshiping the same God, living in harmony together. Unfortunately, tragically, we see that more outside the church than we do inside the church. And the story has now become that the church is a place that is cordoned off from people groups who are coming together for shared purposes, shared vision, shared language, and shared stories. I am persuaded that it's worth engaging this reversal that we have seen in history and that we ought to pursue a faithfulness to the vision that the scripture holds out for the people of God. And it's affected me and my family. You know, I experienced church this way myself. Is my Asian American distinctiveness, is the theology and ministry strategy that I employ, are these welcome in the church? Are they tolerable? Do they make sense? Do people have the patience to listen? When six Asian American women are massacred in Atlanta, will a church staff be equipped to reach out to me and care for my family pastorally? These things are important to me. And so for our ministers in InterVarsity and for the listening public, I really think this is important to our world here in the United States right now. And working on these issues is just something that we can't pass up. Yeah, absolutely. So you referenced a reversal. Is that the reversal being that people are coming together across these lines more outside the church than inside the church? Yeah, I think that is the case. Right. One of my early observations was that it was in the universities, in non-sectarian universities, not, you know, especially not Christian colleges per se, but that they had deployed these programs of diversity and inclusion or race and ethnic studies in ways that the church has still not gotten on board with, that many churches have, have still not gotten on board with. And we have a lot to gain from them. We, in other words, the church 
must learn from the university for a season on this issue of race and ethnicity in racial justice. So there's a lot of listening and learning to do that has, has yet to begin. In fact, the longer the church is suspicious of the academy, the less listening it will do and the less learning it will do about what God is at work doing. So I think that's a great point that the church needs to learn to listen to the academy. And where have you possibly seen that happening? You know, I was a college and young adult pastor. So I sent a lot of students off to the academy to get more studies. And I'm encouraged by the young adults that come back to the church or who stay in the church in order to serve God in the church. The more that that happens, the more they'll continue to bring what God has entrusted to them as they learn in the academy, bring it to bear on life in the church, life in the pews, with their families and as church leaders. So I am seeing that happen more and more. One of my young adults went off to get a master's in education, comes back and is leading the adult ministries segment of our church. I know that she will have integrated the stuff that she's learned about learning into the educational ministries and opportunities in our church. I think that that's wonderful and that that's going to happen more and more as researchers of color meet Jesus and come to the church. Whenever that happens, there is this opportunity for us to do this integration work and for us to see God on the move through people who will give of themselves sacrificially and for the sake of the gospel. And that's partly what makes me so excited about the podcast we're doing because the academics and the theologians who are going to be speaking with us and with each other are a part of that effort as they also serve before the face of God. Yeah, so we are really looking forward to our pilot season. We have some great conversations coming up to share with you. So stay tuned for those and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. We can't wait to bring you these conversations.